Let us pray. Loving Father, we come before your holy presence this morning, Lord, with humility, Lord, and we lay ourselves before your holy presence um, to receive the truth of your word. Open our hearts, Lord, as a potter, Lord. You conform us to the words that we are going to hear today and help us, Lord, to be molded and sculpted in the manner that you desire for us to be, Lord. And even as I speak, let the Holy Spirit work in me and through me. Let the words that I speak, Lord, be directly from the Holy Spirit, Lord, that I'm not uh, speaking out of a proud heart, out of a heart that has ulterior motives, Lord, but, Lord, that this message speak to me as much as to the rest of the congregation. And I pray for the congregation that they delight in your, the truth of your word and that they go out from here with a zeal and a desire to obey your truths and to obey your instruction and to be an image of uh, Christ and show the light of Christ to this dying world, Lord. You lead us and you guide us. Take care of us, mold us, shape us, and make us in your, and conform us in your image. We give you thanks in the praise of, uh, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, for those who are regular comers to Grace Bible Church, you know that I've been going to the book of Titus. And uh, so far, I've uh, delivered three messages on this book, all uh, pertaining to chapter one. And uh, just to recollect uh, the messages, I'll, uh, uh, the first message uh, dealt with the purpose of Paul's life. And um, it um, contextualized uh, a believer's life in, uh, in relationship to Paul's life to tell us how we uh, ourselves should model our individual lives. The second message dealt with Paul giving instructions to, the, uh, to Titus to establish elders on the island of Crete. And the purpose of those elders was to um, refute some of the false teachings that was going around on that island and also to uh, make sure that the gospel was spreading to, the, to all of the people on that island and to ensure that the believers who are receiving the gospel and the message of Christ were living holy and pure lives. And finally, in the third message, I talked about the false teachers and um, the false uh, description of those false teachers. It showed how, um, how those uh, teachers were causing havoc in the uh, community on that island and were creating a gospel that was contrary to the teachings of Christ. And in it all, we also saw the character traits of uh, the elder who was supposed to lead the church, and uh, which was in stark contrast to the false teachers. And those the characteristics that we saw of the elders was something that we should all be desiring and aspiring towards. Our goal should be that we should be living lives that uh, mimics the lives of um, the elder itself. So with that uh, preamble, today we are going to be talking about uh, uh, the second part of my message. And this uh, essentially is from Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 15. So if you have your Bibles, and specifically church Bibles, let's open it to page 1700. Page 1700 in the church Bibles. Titus chapter 2, verse 1. You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled and sound in faith, in love and in endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, 
but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and to be subject to the husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from the all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Finally, verse 15, These then are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. This is the word of God. Um, if you look at these uh, verses that we just read, we can divide it into two sections. The first section is uh, Timothy uh, 2 from verses 1 through 10. In this, basically, uh, Paul sets the requirements for, uh, the, uh, for the older men, for the older women, for the younger man, for the younger woman, for Titus himself, and for uh, the, the Christian slave or the Christian worker. And then in chapter uh, uh, verses 11 through 15, he provides a theological uh, basis for his instructions. So if you see, the instructions are moving from the elders, from the church leaders to the laity, to the congregation. The instructions that we have read this morning, they are only applicable to those who believe in Jesus Christ as the personal Lord and Savior. For the person who does not know Jesus Christ, these are foolishness. In most cases, it is unpalatable. A person holding a non-biblical worldview would label these instructions as patriarchal. You would consider it misogynistic or strongly prejudiced against women. You would consider it racist. You would consider it intolerant, oppressive, or anachronistic, something that is not pertinent to this time, old-fashioned. That is what the people of this world look at these instructions as. For them, this is not the wisdom of God. And why? Because the prince of this earth has blinded their eyes. They do not consider these instructions as wise instructions. They consider them as something that confines them, that constrains them, that puts additional burden. Yet for the believer... These instructions are freedom. They are freeing us. They are the very words of God. They are the wisdom of God. The words that we should savor. The words that we should imbibe. The words that we should fully take into ourselves and live a life that shows that we are in obedience to these instructions. And why do we say that? We say that because 
the words are coming from God's mouth himself through the uh, through the pen of Paul God is instructing his people his children to follow his instruction if i put this in worldly terms or in humanistic terms you consider the relationship between a father and a child if a child loves his father that child wants to mimic the father that child wants to follow the instructions of the father so that when people look at that child they can see the father the image of the father in that child that is the desire of a child the expression of a child's love is obedience to the father's instruction the expression of a child's love is following and trying to mimic the father yet an earthly father is flawed at the very best what he gives to the child is not perfect yet we have a heavenly father who gives us instructions that are perfect that are flawless that are unconditionally good yet we tend not to follow those instructions if we say we are the children of god our expression of love is obedience to these instructions my plea to you this morning is as i go through these instructions do these follow these instructions because it is expression of your love towards your father it is your it is an expression of your love towards a father who wants you to be holy just as he is holy this is a refrain that is throughout that uh, that echoes throughout the bible and even as a uh, pastor ram will be going through the series on leviticus and other things we will see how important holiness was to god the laws the ceremonial and the moral laws that he laid were laid to make the israelites holy to be separated from the world so if we want to be like our father living holy lives we are required to obey these laws but again because we love our father not out of a legalistic obligation if we do this in a legalistic manner we become just like the pharisees where we lose the spirit of the law we follow the words in a legalistic manner and we lay burdens not only on ourselves but also on those around us so that we do not bring glory to god at the end purpose of obedience is always glory to god holy living is always glory to god holy lives shows that we are children of god so our desire to follow his command should be based on god's calling to us be holy for i am holy and that is the title of my message this morning be holy for i am holy we um, as as we went through these verses to today there's a lot of truth to unpack within these verses i'm only going to focus on verse 1 through 5 because uh, in the spirit of time i will not be able to do even justice to this and uh, hopefully we'll be picking up on the verses on the remaining verses in the next few weeks or months uh, and uh, continue with the message um so focusing on verse 1 through 5 john piper writes in his book don't waste your life he says the american dream beckons people to spend their lives on trivial diversions slipping through life caught up with seeking success comfort and pleasure above all else but god designed people for far more than this john's words should ring true to us 
God has designed us more than seeking success, comfort, and pleasure in this world. He has designed us with the sole purpose of holy living. Why? Because He is holy. He wants us to put on the image and nature of Himself so that at the end of the day, God is glorified, God is pleased, and by doing this, we have an effective witness in this world. People will know we are children of God. We are the children of the one and only true living God. So let's look at verse 1. He says in verse 1, You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Verse 1 comes at the heels of uh, uh, Paul giving us a picture of who these false teachers are. Uh, Paul had just told us that uh, these false teachers are perverting the gospel. They are uh, dishonoring the person of Jesus Christ. And they were, sh they were showing a Christ that was contrary to what uh, the gospels were preaching. They were deceiving the souls of men and women for that matter. They were creating havoc in the lives of people. They were destroying families, destroying homes. Paul is saying in this verse 1, yes, these false teachers exist, but you, Paul, however, you must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. The word teach means to talk, and the, uh, the verb itself is in present tense. So the essence of it is talk continuously, teach continuously. This is not a one-time event. Titus had to constantly be teaching these people about God's word and God's commands. And, it, uh, and the adverb to that uh, verb is must. Must is an imperative. There is no negotiation as far as the teaching is concerned. Titus had to constantly teach the people. And what was Titus supposed to teach? He was supposed to teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Sound doctrine is basically healthy teaching. Sound means healthy. Healthy teaching. Whenever healthy teaching exists, we have, we have uh, um, um, uh, actions that are appropriate, that are holy, that are pure. If sound teaching does not exist, we will not have um, uh, pure actions. We will have sin existing. So what Paul is uh, telling Titus is, you teach healthy doctrine, healthy, um, uh, healthy words, pure words, pure commands, and the actions will be holy lives. The correlation between sound teaching and holy lives is inseparable. They go hand in hand. You don't have good teaching, you will have bad lives. If you have good teaching, you will have holy lives. So, Paul, was uh, Paul is asking Titus as an elder, it was your responsibility to teach wholesome and correct teaching so that holy lives will follow. Titus's command is not only, um, Paul's command to Titus is only, not only for Titus, but to every uh, elder uh, in the, through history and through age. And it's also applicable to every spiritual leader. This command meant that the teaching had to be done even when there was intimidation, there was opposition, even when uh, he was tired or exhausted, 
he was not supposed to deviate or compromise sound teaching. At the end of the day, a believer's holy lives is what determines the health of a church. The health of a church is not measured in how many programs it has, in how much riches it has, or wealth it has, or how many people are sitting in the pew. It is measured in the holiness of individual lives. Holiness is what God demands for every believer. Holiness should be the pervasive foundation of every church, whether it's a local church or the universal church in itself. Holiness is what is a defining factor. Unfortunately, the church has shifted away from this desire of holiness. Everything goes is the mantra of today's church. It is focused around man-centered gimmicks and tools. And that is exactly the warning that Paul is giving to Titus. Says, you teach correctly so that the people live holy, so that the church is healthy. The correlation is very distinctly laid over here. The, the instructions that have been given over here uh, in this um, verses, they are rather at a high level. And uh, do, they do not capture every, uh, every action that a believer should uh, uh, take. But they are broad enough so that they capture all the, um, the essence of all the other virtues that are required for holiness, holy, holy living. So even though they are broad, they are broad enough, uh, uh, they are broad enough to capture all the virtues. So when we go through this, we will try to focus on what they mean at that higher level. I will try to maintain my focus on the verses so that we are just focusing on what it means and try not to go down rabbit holes by bringing it to the modern day, modern era. We will talk about those in later um, messages, but today our focus is primarily going to be what it meant to these people on the island of Crete at that time. And hopefully we will... Uh, and. When I say at that time, it's not only at that time, but it is also applicable to us today and through all generations. So with that said, let's move to verse 2. In verse 2, uh, Paul's focus is teaching the older men. The term older over here is different from the word elder. And um, uh, the words are completely different. So the aspect of the older is mainly related to age over here not spiritual maturity or um, uh, spiritual leadership it, in itself. It means age. So you'll ask me, okay, what is the age of these men? Uh, the f our famous uh, comedian in America by the name of Bob Hope, he talks about old age and he says, um, you know you are old when the candles cost more than the cake. <laughs> Unfortunately, I am there. Uh, in my case, if I put the candles on the cake, I won't even be able to see the surface of the cake. So, so old means old. And uh, uh, on, on a more serious note, a clue to um, the age of uh, an older man uh, is given in Philemon verse 9. And in that, uh, Paul calls himself as an old man. And we know that when he wrote the book of Philemon, he was in his 60s, somewhere in his 60s. And uh, another clue is given in Numbers 8 where... Uh, the Levites were supposed to retire from serving in the tent of meeting at the age of around 50. So if we, if we try to peg an age a limit for these older men, they were somewhere in the 50s and 60s and above and beyond that. And uh, 
from a maturity standpoint, these were men who had gone through the rigors of life. They had gone through the ups and downs. They had been in the workforce. They have had families. They have, had, they have seen loss of loved ones. They are now at a point of life where maybe they are facing ill health. Their bones are aching and creaking or any other things that are going on. Those things might be happening to them. But at the end of the day, these are kind of people who would provide much wisdom to the church at that point of time. And they would give that church the healthy viewpoint that was required for the growth and the well-being, not only of that church, but also for the younger men, younger women, and everybody else. But unfortunately, old age does not mean sinlessness. As a matter of fact, as you get old, you get cranky, and you get even worse as far as sin is concerned. But, uh, but uh, that propensity of sin resides within each and every one of us, right? And that is why it was so important for Paul to give instruction to the older men to tell them what required holiness in their individual lives. Remember the background of these men. Earlier on in verse 1, Paul describes the Cretans or the people who lived on Crete as always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. That is the baggage that these men carried from the past. They may have been uh, converted uh, to Christianity just a few days back or they may have been Christian for not more than 20 to 30 years because that's about the time when this letter was written. So at the end of the day, they had a baggage that they carried and Paul is addressing each of those baggages through the instructions that he is giving them. The first instruction that he gives them is to be temperate. Uh, the word temperate itself means moderation, balance. And if you look at the lives of these uh, men who have uh, now become Christians, they were lazy gluttons. They were liars. They were evil brutes. That's how Paul categorized them, right? So most probably these men lived lives of excess. They had, um, they had um, uh, habits that were relating to these... Uh, uh, characteristics that Paul mentions. But Paul is saying, forget about all of that. Now you're a Christian. Learn to be temperate. Learn to be moderate. Learn to be uh, balanced and discreet in your decisions, in your actions. You should not be frivolous. You should not be careless in your actions. You should value the system that you have been taught, you are now a child of God. You have a different value system. You have a different lifestyle. Live that new lifestyle. Paul also knew that as age comes in, people become more set in their ways, in their idiosyncrasies. And unfortunately, when you do that, you become cantankerous. You become short-tempered. You become impatient. You become grumpy. Everybody heard the word grumpy old men? Well, these are the grumpy old men, right? Paul is saying, you show temperate, temperate uh, uh, nature and character so that you are not engrossed in these uh, set ways. You have got to have that balance. He wants them to remove all the hindrances of an older man so that when they walked and when they lived their lives, he had a life that showed that they were not 
uh, indulgent. They were not excessive in their behavior. They were not doing things that took them away from the lifestyle that they had previous, previously, but now they are focused in a lifestyle that showed that they were children of God. The second one is worthy of respect. Think about it. If you are an evil brute, will anyone respect you? No, for sure. No one will respect you. If you are a lazy glutton, will anyone respect you? Not for sure. If you are a liar, definitely no one will respect you. Paul wanted them to change their lifestyle. If they lived a lifestyle that was worthy of respect, all these old sins would go away. All the baggages that they carried would go away. Paul wanted them to show maturity and seriousness. He wanted them to be men of their words so that they were not liars. He wanted them to exemplify integrity in their dealings so that they were not overindulgent. He wanted them to be sensible. He wanted them to show discretion in their actions. He wanted them to have discernment so that they were not doing the wrong things. They wanted, he wanted them to have a nature where when people would look at them, would not look at them as an evil brute, but would look at them as a child of God so that they would respect them. And when they would respect them, they would listen to them and they would become meaningful and useful in the church. They would have a place in the church where they would be a source of great wisdom. They would be a source of great encouragement to the new believers, to those who are living in there. Next, Paul moves on to self-control. Interestingly enough, this is one trait that travels through all the groups. If you look at the elder, Paul calls the elder to be self-controlled. If you look at the older men, Paul calls the older men to be self-controlled. If you look at the younger man, Paul calls him to be self-controlled. He calls the older woman to be self-controlled. You can see the importance of self-control. And why is Paul placing such an emphasis on self-control? Self-control, the word itself means to, refers to uh, carefulness, self-restraint, moderation in the, uh, and from a biblical standpoint, moderation in the sense, in the face of sin and worldly passions. Self-control is something that comes from the inside and is not policed from the outside. Paul wanted them to have a godliness and a holiness and a purity from the inside. If they had that, then their expression of godliness would come on the outside. If it's not on the inside and if it's always dependent upon people policing you, that someone is watching me, hey, I cannot do it. And the moment the person is not watching, I go and do that. If it's dependent upon that, it will fail. Paul wanted them to have that inner conviction that they had to follow holiness and purity without someone looking over their shoulder. That means all the inner vices, they had to have control over it. Obviously, the Holy Spirit is given to them to help them in that journey. But inner vices like anger, desire for money, lust, greed, alcohol, everything was in view over there for Paul as he's telling them to be self-controlled. Self-control is extremely important. If we don't have self-control, we'll be indulgent, we'll be excessive. And that is what Paul is warning these older men. You have come to a point in your life 
where you don't back go back to the ways that you had before. Start fresh, start new, start with the conviction that comes in from the inside to live holy and godly lives. Next, he moves into a trivector of being sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. He talks about three items over here. And in essence, these items are interrelated, interconnected, but I will talk to them individually, and then hopefully you'll see the connection between all three. They all uh, are, go hand in hand. The faith referred to over here is basically the ongoing faith of the individual, right? It's not uh, the salvational one-time faith that you have put on, but now he's saying that you have believed in Christ, you need to continue in this faith. The conviction that you had in the godly principles, you need to continue living in them. The doctrinal convictions that you had, you need to continue to sustain your life in that manner. You cannot go back and forth. You cannot be wishy-washy. A man of faith is consistent in his dealings and in his ways. And that is what uh, Paul is focusing over here. Unfortunately, when age comes, sometimes you become callous, you become bitter, you become cynical. And why does that happen? Think about an older person. As the older person goes through life, they face poor health. They face loss of loved ones. They go to financial distress at times. Um, they may um, have uh, abandonment. People, their relatives, the family may have abandoned them. They are all alone. In all of these situations, a person's faith can go down. Paul recognized that with age, there are situations whereby the person's faith can waver. And Paul is telling this older men, don't do that. Have a healthy faith so that you can continue to be thankful to God, recognizing that God is your provider. Place your trust in Him. Have your faith in Him. At the end of the day, He will lead you through this, all, through this entire situation. Yes, you are going through all of these difficulties, all of these trials, all of these calamities. Bitterness is creeping in your heart. You want to walk away from the faith. You want to be isolated. You want to do what you want to do. Paul is saying, no, continue in that faith. Have a healthy faith. Be sound in the face of travails, in the face of trials, so that at the end of the day, you can be that light to that younger man or that younger woman. You can be that light and say, yes, I had the same thing, and yet I, my faith did not falter, yet I did not waver. You can give that encouragement. He wants them to be sound and healthy in that faith. He wants them to be healthy in their love. And when he, he's talking about the healthy love, think about the uh, prior life of these men. They were self-centered. They were indulgent in their own debaucherous ways. They didn't care about others because they were, they were considered as evil brutes. They were focused upon what was best for them. Yet Paul is saying, no, no, you are now a new person. You cannot continue to be uh, self-centered, self-focused. Your love has to be for others. Your love should be giving in nature. Your love should be one that does not hold bitternesses and grudges. Your love should be self-sacrificing 
as a matter of fact, the perfect or the most beautiful, uh, I mean, besides Jesus Christ, and Jesus was younger, okay? So the, a wonderful example of that self-sacrificing life is seen in Paul's writings or pastoral letters like First Timothy, Second Timothy, Titus, uh, Thessalonians. Those are the letters that he wrote in his older age. You can see the love dripping from those letters for the people. His care, his concern over his own physical um, infirmities, over his own physical discomfort. Paul is more focused on those believers. His love is emanating from those letters. That is the kind of love Paul is asking these older men to have. Not a love that is focused on self, but a love that is focused on others. And finally, Paul uh, asks them to be healthy in terms of their endurance. And I talked about it earlier on. Old age brings travails in life. Health, abandonment, loss of loved ones, um, financial distress, you name it. Older people go through a lot in life. And uh, they are at a point where they do not want to go any more further. They say, I'm tired. Let it all go. Paul is saying, no, endure. Have a healthy endurance. Continue through these travels of life so that you are an example to the other. So that people can see how you're dealing with it graciously and with fortitude. It should not be where you're completely depressed and down. He wants them to endure the, those trials, endure those travels. So, travails. So, at the end of the day, Paul asks them to be sound in faith, love, and endurance. And these all three go together beautifully. And if that is there, the older man truly is a wonderful example to the church and to all the believers for all generations to come. So. With that uh, instruction to the older man, now Paul changes and shifts his focus to the older woman. In verse 3, he says, Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. The word likewise implies just as or just as uh, in the same manner as the older men the older women had a set of instructions they need to follow. But I, when I look at this, I also think that the instructions that were given to the older men were also applicable to the older women. Yet, within the context of the uh, lifestyle that these older women lived as Cretans, Paul gives some additional instructions to them so that they could be more effective in their own individual holiness and in their walk and in the way they uh, interacted with the church. Now you'll ask me this morning, what is the age of these older women? Well, I learned a long time ago <laughs> not to mess with women's ages. <laughs> so I'm not making eye contact with any woman this year, today. If you're old, you're old, <laughs> and you know it. I don't want to be in the doghouse today. <laughs> so, but on a more serious note, when Paul is talking about the older women, he's talking about women who have raised children, and their children have moved on into adulthood. So most probably the age is similar to that of the older men. And if you look at it, furthermore, there's another clue in 1 Timothy 5.9, 9, 
where Paul talks about the older women and he's pegged the age around 60 years of um, around 60 years. So with that said, if you're an older woman, message is for you. If you th you're an older woman, you think you're young, message is not for you. <laughs> anyway, anyway, that is just uh, kidding. Yeah. Um, so, so when you look at this, uh, these instructions, right, um, it can be boiled down to four um, essential uh, instructions that Paul gives to these women. The first one is uh, reverent in the way they live. Uh, the general consensus among most of the uh, Bible scholars and teachers and commentators is that this word or this phrase refers to being priest-like. And what does the priest do? A priest is one who has a holy life, who offers worship to God, who lives a life that is pure, a, a life that is devoted to God, a life that is fully engrossed in the word and truth of God. It's a heavy burden to lay on the older woman. Yet, Paul is laying that on the woman saying that you need to be priest-like in your character and in your nature. You have to be reverent in the way that you live. And where, where would this, uh, uh, where would this uh, reverence uh, uh, manifest itself? It would be in the speech. It would be in service, in devotion to God, in hospitality, in mentoring, in modesty in discretion, in relationship with the husband and the child. And the list goes on. Even as I read these words, it tires me out, right? So, because it's, and it's, it's a huge burden, but it tells us that the older woman is a very integral part of the church and the healthy living and lifestyle of a church. Without these older women, many things will fall apart. These instructions may, be, may seem on the surface very difficult, but they are doable. God has given us the Holy Spirit. Every older woman has the Holy Spirit, and she can be priest-like. She can be reverent in the way that she lives. The second one is not to be slanderers. Paul plays a heavy emphasis on speech over here. See, men are action-oriented. Women are speech-oriented. Unfortunately or fortunately, whatever, they can talk. They can talk very well. Now, in case of uh, the Cretan women, uh, again, they were coming with that baggage of being uh, always liars, evil brutes, and it was, it was not just the men, but it was a general uh, statement for all those people, the Cretan people. Most probably, these Cretan women had much time on their hand. The children are grown, nothing to do. They start talking. Talking leads to gossip. Gossip leads to criticism. Criticism leads to finding fault. And finding fault finally leads to slandering. Slander itself is the action of making a false spoken statement that damages a person's reputation. That is what those people would, that, these, uh, that, that is what Paul did not want these women to do. By doing this, they would destroy the very fabric of that church, the health of that church, by bringing out false, um, uh, false um, accusations against the people. Paul did not want them to do that. Paul did not want to, them to even delve in that area because that this it comes right from the pit of hell. As a matter of fact, the word used for uh, slanderer is diablo, and diablos. 
means Satan is, is the name given to Satan. So every time they were being diablos, they were being Satan-like. Paul did not want them to be Satan-like. He wanted them to have pure speech, a speech that was salted with truth, not with slander. As a matter of fact, the Bible condemns slandering, has very bad things to say about slander. I'll just read one of that and says in Psalm 140 verse 11, let not the slanderer be established in the land. Let evil hunt down the violent man speedily. Let not the slanderer be established in the land. That is what complete elimination, annihilation of that individual slander was not looked upon kindly by God. So moving on to the next uh, uh, instruction to the older women, he says, not addicted to wine. Wine and alcohol is generally associated with men. Uh, very uh, infrequent or uh, alcohol or alcoholism is never generally related back to women. But to hear Paul's instruction, especially to the older women, because he recognized what was happening over here is most, most probably these women had much time on their hand. If they were not gossiping, they had nothing else to do. And what would they do? Pick up the wine bottle and start swigging. And when they started swigging, they would be, they would get inebriated. They would get drunk, which would lead back to foolish talk. It would uh, bring down their guard as far as judgment is concerned. They would not show discernment. And it would cause havoc, not only in the home, but in the body of Christ, in the church itself. Paul wanted these women to not have excessive wine. Again, we always debate upon is wine sin or not sin. At the end of the day, it's not about wine, but it's about how much you consume it. Does it take you down to the path where you lose sight of your own self and you start doing everything that is incorrect, that is sinful? So in contrast, Paul wanted these women to be sober in mind and in spirit and have control over their tongue and their actions by not taking alcohol, too much alcohol. And that is the, the instruction that he gives to them. Finally, Paul moves on to what is really important for these women, and that is teaching what is good. He did not want them to continue whiling away their uh, lives on their hours by talking, by alcoholism, or by doing things that were not healthy for the uh, life of the church. But he wanted them to focus upon teaching other women, teaching the younger women specifically godly characteristics and traits. If these women lived a holy and pure life, they would be a great encouragement to the next generation. They would be a source of much information that would help the younger women grow in their own spiritual walk. It would give them encouragement. It would help the next generation to be for the lights of this world. So that is what Paul wanted them. Live that holy life and be able to teach. Teach what is good. Teaching what is good for the holy women was only possible if they lived their own lives in a holy manner. If they were debauchers in their lifestyle, 
he could not teach because it would just be hypocrisy. As a matter of fact, uh, the behaviors that a woman should show in coming to this point are beautifully uh, penned in verses uh, in First Timothy chapter five, verses nine to ten, which I'll read to you. Paul writes to Timothy and he says, basically he's talking about the older women who are approximately 60 years in age, saying that they have been faithful to her husband and is well known for her good deeds, such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of Lord's people, helping those in trouble and devoting herself to all kind of good deeds. What beautiful traits a woman should exhibit are captured in this. If she was doing this, she would have a holy life so that when she's old, she can now start teaching the same thing to the younger woman. See this cycle? Young woman lives this life, becomes old. She has all of these good instructions. She teaches the younger woman. Younger woman follows these instructions, becomes old, teaches the younger woman. This is the cycle or uh, the circle of fidelity that is sustained by a healthy church. Younger women, uh, older women have gone through the life, leading holy lives, teaching the younger women, and the younger women leading their life, teaching, eventually becoming old, and teaching the younger women. That repeated cycle is so beautiful. That is what causes a healthy church. You, you older women and older people and men are integral to the life of a healthy church. They are not to be set aside, and that is exactly why Paul is giving these instructions to the older men and women first, saying that you are important to the church. Without you, the church can fail and will fail. And it's only possible when the older people are living that holy life, right? If they're living that holy life, they will bring their spiritual experience. They will bring their spiritual strength. They will bring their spiritual endurance. They will bring their spiritual wisdom. They will bring their spiritual love into the church so that that church will become light to the world. That is the intent and purpose of Paul in giving those instructions to the older people. So hopefully uh, we have seen what it takes to build a healthy church with the holy lives of older people. Now we'll shift our attention to something that's more contentious and difficult to talk about. Verse 4. Verse 4 um, directs us to the instruction that Paul lays to the younger woman or younger women. And um, uh, it's interesting to see that the task of training the younger women is given to the older women, not to Titus himself. You'll ask why, why this deviation, whereas uh, Titus was supposed to teach the older woman, the older man, and he'll be instructed to teach the younger men, also the slaves. But in this instance, the, 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 the responsibility has shifted towards the older women. And even in case of the older women, the essence of teaching and training was to be ongoing and continuous, not a one-time event. Just like um, Titus was supposed to teach the older men, older women continuously, same concept resides over here. It was not a one-time event. But the teaching has been assigned to the older woman. Why? I see three aspects to it. 
The first one is the older woman through their own holy living can be the best example for a younger woman. The younger woman would be able to relate to it very easily. Even in situations of intimacy, even in situations where they would not be able to talk to the man, they would be more comfortable to talk to the woman. And not only uh, talk to the woman, but the woman because of her experience would be able to do that very easily. The second aspect of it is with the older women were wasting a lot of their time, right? By teaching the younger women that time is used wisely. They become good stewards and good managers of their own individual time. And finally, it was to prevent Titus from being exposed to temptation, undue temptation. There's a possibility that if he was one-on-one -on -one with a younger woman, it could lead to uh, an unforeseen relationship or an inappropriate relationship. And that is what uh, Paul wanted to make sure that, that that did not happen. So Paul is using a top-down approach where a Older woman teaches a younger woman. But that, this does not preclude the fact that a younger woman can also take the initiative and go to her, an older woman or a woman whom they consider to be godly and take get that mentoring up the opposite way. So it's, always not, it's not always that the older woman has to reach out to the younger woman. It is also the responsibility of the younger woman to recognize their own areas of weakness and approach the older woman accordingly. So, with that said, uh, the older woman is instructed to teach the younger woman how to teach success, to be successful wives, mothers, and housekeepers. Um, the instructions that are given to the younger woman are slightly more than the older man and older woman because Paul recognized that these women were integral to the part of the infant church that was growing on the island of Crete recognizing that uh, they, the, most of these people have come with a baggage and now they are moving on into their Christian life. And the young woman is central to the success of not only the home, but also to the health of that church. That is why he places such a strong emphasis on the instruction that he gives to the woman. They, they are integral to making a healthy church. Without a healthy and a holy younger woman, many things will fall apart. These instructions have caused much havoc in today's day and age, but the instructions are very simple. You read the words, there's not much leeway over here. It is what it says, and that is what I'm going to focus on, what it says. I'm not going to focus upon all the rabbit holes that we can go down. You and I can debate all day long, but I'm, I'm just going to explain to you the way it is written, right? The first thing is Paul asks them to, be, to love their husband and children. Paul starts off with the emphasis on what is most important for the young woman, that is loving their family. At the heart and at the root of a healthy church is a healthy family. And a healthy family exists because a woman loves her husband and her child. I will start off with loving the husband. When Paul writes on husband, 
he does not put any qualifiers on the husband. He does not say whether the husband is good or the husband is bad. Husband is dominating, husband is submitting. He does not say anything. And if you look at these women, most probably these women uh, may have had the marriage before they were saved and they are coming into the marriage where the woman is saved and the husband is not saved or they both may have become uh, they both have may have become believers after their marriage and now both of them are saved either situation at the end of the day the bottom line is the woman is called to love the husband and the reason for that love is based in the institution of marriage itself where god ordains the man and woman to leave their family and become one. That oneness is not only associated with physical intimacy, but is associated with a mutual love that is uh, rooted in mutual respect and submission. It, 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 it is a love that comes out of the character of God himself. It is a love that is self-sacrificial. That is the kind of love that Paul is talking about. It is not, he's not talking about the love of a physical attraction. Think about those days. The man and woman in those days never married, or almost never married because they loved each other. They married because they have arranged marriages in most cases. And in that case, the love grew over time. They did not have that love on day one. And many times when we have that love on day one, it's many a physical attraction. As a matter of fact, John MacArthur, when he writes about this in his sermon, he says, marriage isn't all rockets and bells and whistles. It's a contested, contented commitment with an occasional rocket and maybe a bell and a whistle now and then. Think about it, right? It is a commitment. A marriage is based upon uh, tangible ways of showing affection, right? It is not uh, based upon some nirvana or some aura of, uh, or a fantastic notion or a feeling. It is based upon actual actions. I will just go through a few of these actions and uh, show you how love or towards a husband is manifested. Um, and this is coming out of uh, William McDonald's commentary on this subject. He says, by showing respect to the husband, by acknowledging his headship in the home, by keeping an orderly home, by paying attention to personal appearance, by confessing promptly, by forgiving graciously, by keeping the lines of communications open, by spending within their means. And in the commentary, there are several more uh, actions that he points out. I don't want to give all of them because you'll feel like I'm dumping on the women. I'm not trying to do that. I just want you to recognize that you women play an important, extremely important role in the family. In holding that family together by loving the husband, you are fulfilling that. So I will stop here as far as loving the husband is concerned and move to the next one, loving the children. Uh, Children, uh, the love towards a child is one of the most natural instincts that a woman can have. And it goes back to the umbilical cord connection that the woman had with the child when the child was in 
her womb. At that point of time, the child was fully dependent on the woman, whether it meant nourishment, whether it meant growth, whether it meant warmth, whether it meant love. That connection remains throughout the lifetime of the child and the woman. That natural connection never goes away. The child feels most comfortable with their mother, not with their father. In times of grief, in times of sorrow, the child goes to the mother. In times of success, in times of uh, failures, the child goes to the mother. The child feels most comfortable with the mother. Yet Paul is still giving the instruction to the woman, younger woman. Woman, love your children. He wanted this love to go beyond just this natural instinct. He wanted it to manifest in actual actions. That is what Paul is trying to talk about over here. He's saying, young women, learn to love your children. Learn to love your children out of actions. Actions like teaching them scripture, teaching them how to pray, providing them a nurturing home, a loving home, a home where there's no fighting, where there is no grumbling, by disciplining them towards a godly life, by encouraging them to serve God rather than the world. Those are the kind of instructions Paul has for the woman over here where she shows her love. Again, this love was to always manifest itself in action. Not the natural instinct, but more than that. It had to be something that the woman did. So that's the instruction for the woman as far as the love is concerned for the husband and the child. Paul then moves on to the next one, which is self-controlled and pure. As I'd earlier mentioned, self-control is a very important aspect. I'm not going to repeat it again. It's the, basically the same thing that we talked about as far as the older man and older woman and um, the elder was concerned. I will move to purity. Purity means chaste. Purity means virtuous. And the purity that Paul is referring to over here is thought, action, and motive. The younger woman should not be exposed or engaged in anything that will show uh, uh, that they are away, that they are impure in terms of sexual activities are concerned. They should not be engaging in extra relationship. The way they dress should be modest so that at the end of the day, they are not the cause of temptation for other men. They should be virtuous in their speech so that they are not flirtatious and cause uh, an unwanted situation. The purity that he's referring to over here deals in this, uh, in this, in this area of a sexual context or a, um, uh, an area where you can go down the path of adultery. So he wants these women to be extremely conscious of how they are engaging with the opposite sex or how they are dealing with it. So at the end of the day, um, purity, was, uh, um, purity was an integral part of holy living. Next one is the busy at home, and this is the one that has caused grief to many a uh, young woman in today's day. Uh, the word busy over here means work or worker. Paul wanted these women to be good workers at home, to be homemakers. Remember, 
um, they are coming in from a, a pagan or a non-Christian environment and they're becoming Christians at this point of time. And it was very important that they manage their home correctly so that Christian principles and values were um, being upheld in that home. The home is, Paul is emphasizing over here, is the sphere of the greatest influence of a woman. The home is where they need, they break or create or grow a Christian life. If the woman is a good homemaker, is a busy worker, she'll ensure that the needs of the family are met. She'll ensure that the children are raised in love. She'll ensure that the husband is free to focus on the role of his, uh, what is role both in the church and in the home as a leader, as the primary breadwinner. This is, does not mean that the woman has to be confined to the house 24 hours a day. I'm not um, espousing that at all. As a matter of fact, if you look at the example of Proverbs 31 woman, she left her home when she needed to buy a field. She left home to prepare the field. She left home and went far to do things that would help the family by selling in the marketplace, by doing so many other things. But where did she come back? Where did she pour her life? She poured her life in her home. She got up early. She went to bed late. She provided for the family with food, with darning the clothes, with doing everything else. She loved her family without any reservation. At the end of the day, the focus of that Proverbs 31 woman was her home. That was the place where the biggest influence was felt. That was a sphere of change. She, she did everything else, but her home was where she placed her focus on. That is what she wanted to build. That is what she wanted to grow. Again, John MacArthur writing on this uh, topic in his sermon, he writes, The home is where a woman provides expression of love for her husband and her children. The home is where she leads and guides and teaches and raises the godly generation. The home is where she is protected and secured from other men and potentially wicked relationships and abuses. The home is where she lodges uh, strangers, washes saints' feet, shows hospitality and devotes herself to every good work. That's a sphere and whatever of that home and whatever of the goodness of her life she can take outside and not sacrifice the home is between her and the Lord and her husband. Again, stewardship of a woman resides in being a good homemaker. Next one is to be kind. Again, uh, these women, uh, these, these families were coming in from a non-pagan situation into a, a Christian uh, home and uh, most probably uh, they were being persecuted or they may have been looked down upon. Um, the Paul is instructing the young woman to be kind, to be hospitable to one another, recognize when there was a need. Uh, he wanted them to be able to live for others, to be gracious both inside and outside the house, and to be vigilant to, in terms of providing for the needs of, um, uh, of other believers. Finally, subject to the husband. Uh, this message is going rather long, so I want to uh, go through it rather quickly. So, subject to the uh, to the husbands, Paul wanted the younger women to acknowledge the husbands were the head of the household. 
he was definitely not saying that the woman was weaker in terms of or inferior in terms of spiritual standing in terms of their intellect in terms of their giftedness paul recognized that uh, the woman would not want to be subject to a husband and it goes back to the curse or uh, that god puts on eve right back in genesis 3:16 where he says um that uh, the woman would have desire towards her husband and the word desire means over here desire to dominate or to rule yet in, in, despite uh, knowing uh, and uh, paul knowing this lays the uh, lays the command of the, the woman to be subject to the husband he doesn't say that hey husband your uh, hey woman your husband is a evil brute don't be subject to him or hey husband your uh, hey woman your husband is a believer you don't need to be subject to him but at the end of this paul does command the subjection and the subjection is related to ensuring harmony of the home uh ensuring that the husband is able to fulfill his role as a leader to ensure that the children were raised in love and that they and the ensuring that the woman herself was protected from sexual influences of other wicked men or maybe even women therefore now paul gives all of these instructions and he comes to verse 5 in conclusion he says in um, conclusion so that no one will malign the word of god interestingly enough the maligning of the word of god is linked back to the instructions that he's given to the woman but i think it's more than just the woman it's also for the older men and older women at the end of the day if we are not obedient to the word of god if you are not in submission to his instructions we are defaming god's word we are bringing blasphemy to his word and when god's word is blasphemed he is dishonored god does not get the glory a believer's very existence is to bring glory to god and if you are not bringing glory to god by not following his word we are doing the wrong thing we are sinning we are putting bringing shame to his name just knowing this fact should tell us that we should be obedient to god's word i recognize this morning that some of these instructions have been a source of much debate and uh, consternation specifically in terms of the instruction for the younger women specifically around being busy or workers at home or subject to their husband um women who espouse this uh, these instructions or believe these instructions there's a stigma associated against us women they're looked upon as in a very negative light not only in this world but in the church itself as a matter of fact every voice outside says these instructions are foolish these instructions are restrictive modern day feminism is diametrically opposed any including the feminism of paul stein is diametrically opposed to the instructions that i just talked about and uh, this uh, opposition is uh, beautifully captured in the quote uh, by vivian gornick she was a feminist author and in the daily elenide uh, dated april 25 1981 she writes being a housewife is an illegitimate profession that's the whole trust the choice to be served and be protected and planned towards being a family maker is a choice that shouldn't be the heart of radical feminism is to change that no more homemaking no more housemaker no more busy worker 
I'm not here to vilify or contend with the feminist movement because I don't know enough of it. But at the end of the day, I want to talk about one thing and one thing only. How do we deal with the commands or instructions laid in these scriptural verses? Are we obedient to God's command or to man's opinion? For me, God's command is what holds true. And I want to be true to his command, not to man's opinion. I know there are situations where uh, these instructions uh, demand a slightly different response. But recognize that these instructions need to be followed in the spirit of what it has been laid out as. For example, a single woman or mother, a widow, a childless woman, a wife, a woman with grown children or a woman with handicapped husband will approach being a worker at home in a slightly different manner than a mother with a husband. Similarly, the modern advantages and the tools that we have today gives the woman a lot more time on her hand and she would approach working at home in a slightly different manner. I recognize these nuances exist. But at the end of the day, are we following God's instructions because they are God's word and we love him? Or are we following these instructions by finding loopholes that would best suit our situation and losing the spirit of the instructions? Or are we following it in a legalistic manner so that we lose God's instructions altogether? That is a question you and um, we all need to ask ourselves. Because at the end of the day, we will be answering to God. And he will ask us, how did we deal with the instructions that he's given us? How did we deal with the playbook that he's given us? I hope we can all say that we followed the instruction with respect to the spirit of that instruction. Because sometimes the spirit of the instruction may lay a standard that is far beyond what we believe. Case in point, when Jesus talks about adultery, the standard that the Pharisees had versus what Jesus pointed out was much more different. When Jesus pointed out that standard, he lays it against even the thought being as adultery. When you look at a woman in a lustful manner, it constitutes an adultery. So remember, these words are God's word. Remember, fulfilling them makes us like our father. Do not obey these commands in a legalistic manner or to fulfill the obligations of legalism. John Brown, he is a 19th century Scottish theologian, and he is quoted in Jeff Bridges' book, The Pursuit of Holiness. The men went through this recently, and he says is. Holiness does not consist in mystic speculations, enthusiastic fervors, or uncommanded austerities. It consists in thinking as God thinks and willing as God wills. Our Father in Heaven has given us His Holy Spirit. He has given us the Holy Spirit so that we can think as God thinks and will as God wills. He has given us the Holy Spirit to go through times when we are facing much difficulties, when we are facing trials and we do not feel like following the instructions, 
when we are failing physically, mentally and spiritually and we do not follow on to follow those instructions the Holy Spirit has been given to us. He has given us the Holy Spirit to us when external voices are creeping into our lives and saying that these should not be followed. These are but foolishness. Also, God has given us access to Him on a one-on-one -on -one basis. When we are struggling in following the instructions, go to Him in prayer. God has given us His Word and He has given us godly saints to tap in when we are failing to follow these instructions. Use these resources. Go to these fountains of much knowledge and get the jewels or the gems of instructions that will uh, or encouragement that will help you follow these instructions. In, in, in conclusion, these instructions are holy standards to live by. These are non-negotiable. Obedience to them is the only way we can fulfill God's calling to each and every one of us. Be holy for I am holy. Let's pray. Loving Father, we thank you Lord for taking care of us and uh, giving us an understanding of your truth. I pray for, for each and every one of us Lord. Let our desire Lord to be holy just as you are holy and you have given us the standards and instructions whereby Lord we can live those holy lives Lord we have been um, given so much Lord help us to be faithful and help us Lord to go out of here with a desire of honoring you through your word lead us and guide us through everything as us all in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ Amen